Hey, Summit Church. Like Andy said, my name is Justin, and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, tonight, I get to talk to you about community, and I'm really excited about it. Um, like Andy mentioned, we've been working through our core values, like we did in January each year. And last week, you heard from Brian Turney, who talked about the gospel, our first core value. And this week, I'm going to be talking about community, our second core value. And then next week, we'll be Andy talking about mission, and then Brian will put a bow on it like he does so well and cast a very compelling vision for 2015 and beyond. So you have that to look forward to. And one of the reasons that I really enjoy um, talking about community is because one of the areas that I oversee here at the summit is our city groups. And uh, our city groups are kind of our main catalyst for cultivating healthy community and healthy relationships here at the summit. And so since I oversee that, I spend a good bit of time kind of studying community, studying what the Bible says about community, looking at what other churches are doing to try to help cultivate community, um, looking at how our city groups are working or, or where they're coming up short. And so um, all of this, in many ways, kind of consumes what I do um, week in and week out. But even more than just community being a part of my job, um, community is something I enjoy. Um, and I think many of you are like that, too. Like, community is something that's easy to enjoy because we all like having friends. Like, we all like having relationships. So community is exciting because it's something that we really need. And um, let me just say that it wasn't always like this for me. Like, I couldn't always uh, say that. Uh, in high school and kind of probably more into college, I tended to, I tended to operate more out of a Lone Ranger approach to spirituality and relationships. And at, I wasn't a loner. Like, that's what I'm trying to say. I had friends. Um, but, like, don't feel bad for me. That's what I'm trying to say. Really, yeah. Um, so, but I think I tended to take this, this Lone Ranger approach because I guess I, I didn't realize the importance of community. I didn't realize the importance of the relationships that God put in my life. And so even though I had friends and I had people I enjoyed hanging out with, um, I just, when those relationships got hard or maybe times where I, I did feel a little bit lonely, like I would just kind of spiritualize it and think that, well, this is just like, more time for me to focus on my relationship with God. Like, I don't need people. And so I think that was, that was maybe the, the, the root of it, was just pride of thinking, like, I, I don't need people. Like, I can be independent. Like, I, like, I'm bad. I can do this. And that's the heart of the issue. Like, that was, that was kind of the problem. And I think I kind of carried a little bit of this through college, and um, I started to realize a little bit of, um, of how unhealthy it was. And I think the time between college and before I moved out here to Denver and got married, God really used that time to transform my view of community and transform really my, the way I understood my need for community. And um, the way that worked was right after college, I um, went and worked at a camp in Pennsylvania as the adventure camp director. And so my job basically consisted of teaching kids how to mountain bike, rock climb, hike, build fires, fish, um, if you know me, that's like paradise, right? Like, that couldn't get much better. Um, so it really bothered me as I became more and more unhappy and unfulfilled with what I was doing. Like, I had all of the hunting and fishing and mountain biking I wanted right on my front step, but yet I wasn't happy. Like, there was still something missing. And I couldn't really figure out what that was for the longest time. And as I really started to think about it, what I realized is I was really lonely. Um, I lived by myself, and it was a smaller camp staff, um, so there wasn't a ton of us. And 
I had a lot of time to myself, and it was really hard for me to admit at the time, um, but I was. I was really lonely, and even though I had some people I could hang out with, I was lacking in really deep, meaningful relationships. And even though I had, in many ways, the perfect job, the lack of relationships um, made it all kind of meaningless. And so that's kind of how God has changed the way that I look at community. He used that in a big way. He's used this church in a big way. Um, it really was a kind of a freeing, a liberating thing for me to, to come to that point where I realized that I need people. Like, I need community desperately. And, you know, it, it got to the point, it got so bad that it was starting to affect my health. Um, I was probably as close to depression as I'd ever been. Um, and that is kind of what God used to kind of get me to that point to make some changes in my life. And that's partly what he used to get me out here to Denver and a part of this church. And he's continued to grow me in this area ever since. And a book that, um, a book that I read last, last year uh, was Into the Wild. Some of you guys have probably read this book or, or watched the movie. And, um, you know, overall, it's, it's a really intriguing story. You probably have uh, strong feelings about how the book ended, and I won't ruin it for you if you haven't read it. Well, I might a little bit. We'll see. Um, so the, if you haven't seen this movie or read this book, kind of uh, the gist of it is um, there's, a, there's a guy named Chris who graduates college, and he decides that he's going to go on this journey um, to find, of, I guess, a, of self-discovery, of, of freedom from society, of freedom from people, um, to have all these experiences. And in many ways, it was out of a reaction to uh, the way he grew up. And um, he grew up very wealthy and a very influential family. And so he was going to leave all that behind, just take the bare minimum of his possessions with him. And um, he was going to find himself. And so... He wandered around the country for a couple of years, and eventually he made his way up to Alaska, which is the ultimate in wilderness and, and frontier, right? The last American frontier. And after a couple months in Alaska, he came to the conclusion that all of this self-discovery, all of these experiences, all of the beauty that I've seen, it's all meaningless unless I have people to share it with. And I really resonated with that. And I, and I don't know, if some of you have read that story, hopefully that resonated with you a little bit. But it's so true. Like, we could have one of the, by, the, by most people's standards, a very fulfilling life, but if we don't have people to share it with, it doesn't mean anything. I think we all can relate to and resonate this, this need for community, because nobody likes to be alone, right? Like, some of you, like, you've probably just moved here. You've, you've come maybe from a different city, and you're still kind of, like, trying to find a new group of friends to hang out with. You're trying to um, maybe find a new church, a, a, just a new community to kind of identify with and to find relationships with. And it's really hard, right? I don't know a whole lot of people that enjoy that process. I know a couple, but for the most part, that process creates a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. And it's just, you go through a period of time where you just, you feel a little bit lonely and no one enjoys that. I think something kind of ironic about um, kind of the age we live in is because of internet, because of technology, like, we're the most connected generation ever, right? But at the same time, we're also the most lonely. And I think you see that as you look around, as you look at, if you, as you look through your Facebook feed. I think there's a lot of posts that you probably just skim through. Some of them that probably even seem a little bit annoying. You're just like, I can't believe she said that. I can't believe he did that. And underneath that, though, is lonely people. There's people crying out for attention, crying out to be recognized, crying out for someone to, to show them some compassion, someone to love them. And so 
on the whole, I think we all understand this longing for community, this longing to know others and be known by them, and this desire to have really deep, authentic relationships with people. And the reason that we all feel that is because we were created to, all right? We were created in God's image, and our God is a God that lives in community. And so it would only make sense that we were created with this need as well. But the good news that I have for you tonight is that God doesn't give us a need that he doesn't provide for. Okay, I'm going to say that again. God doesn't give us a need that he doesn't provide for. And so what we're going to look at tonight, what we're going to see in this text is that the Bible gives us a perfect solution for our need for community. So let's look down at 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're looking at verses 14 to 16 tonight. And we're going to read the words of the Apostle Paul as he was writing to his young protege, Timothy, who's a a young pastor in a city called Ephesus. So verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So what we see in these verses is that the biblical solution for our longing for community is the church. Right? That's what Paul is telling Timothy. But what we also see is what this community is supposed to look like. Paul's giving Timothy a vision for God's community. We see that right at the beginning of verse 15 when Paul says or refers to the church as God's household or God's family, right? And so throughout Scripture, not just in these few verses, but throughout Scripture, the primary, the most popular metaphor of the church used by biblical writers is this, that of a family. They constantly refer to the people of God as being a family. God's the father, we're the kids. So that's how we relate to one another, as siblings in God's family relate to God as our father. That's where that comes from. And so if you've been around the summit for any length of time, you've probably heard, even through in Andy's announcements tonight, um, us refer to our church as our, our church family or the summit family or the members meeting this past week as our family gathering. And um, if you're new, that probably seems a little cultish, and I I get that, I really do. But what I want you to understand is it's very intentional. Um, The reason that we use familial language very consistently and constantly um, is because the New Testament does, the Bible does. It's, It's a biblical idea that these people around you are your church family, and so we're supposed to relate to one another as family. So, I think to understand this a little bit better, it's helpful to understand what Paul would have meant or what Timothy and his congregation would have understood when Paul says to act like family. And what we need to understand is that Timothy and his congregation, they lived in a very different time than we do, obviously. And um, their society, their cultures had very different values. And so, um, sociologists refer to this ancient Mediterranean culture as a strong group culture. You might have heard that um, used before. And what that meant was the group always came before the individual. The group was always prioritized 
over the individual, okay? And so you saw this in, in, uh, in marriages, right? That's kind of where we see arranged marriages come in. You saw this in choice of careers. Um, you, they were, they, like, if you grew up in that time, you wouldn't really have a whole lot of say in what you did with your life. You just kind of did what the family did. You saw this in where you lived. You never went far from your family. And so on the whole, th- this was a very strong group culture. And so what that meant then is these people would have understood that you can't, like if they felt this strong group allegiance and loyalty towards their family, and then they had Jesus and Paul kind of communicating this new group, the church, in the same way, they would have understood that you can't have two primary allegiances. You can't have two um, top priorities when it comes to the two different groups. And so they understood that what that meant was to really be a part of this new spiritual family that, that Jesus had created and that, that Paul was telling them to act like, that it meant that their, their primary allegiance, their primary commitment was to their church family. And so these are the values that this church, the church at Ephesus, um, imported into their understanding of the church when Paul says to act and behave like a family. I think we, I think we understand this to some degree because we have families, and I know many of you have very good relationships with your families. I have a very good relationship with my family, and so I feel very strong commitment and loyalty to my family. Um, but at some level, we're all a little bit hindered by understanding this fully, and the reason for that is because our society, by contrast is what sociologists call a weak group society. And so what that means um, is that our society, in our society, the individual always takes priority over the group, okay? So when you think about um, maybe where you went to school or what you studied or what you're doing uh, for a living or who you married, uh, that was largely up to you. Like, you made those decisions for yourself, where you're living, even here in Denver. A lot of that was up to your choosing. And so... Um, in our understanding of family, uh, we tend to import those values in. Even though we've, we feel very um, loyal to and committed to our, our, our biological families, um, we, we still in, import this, this individualistic kind of mentality into the church. And so um, I think the reason that's important to understand, I'm not necessarily trying to say one is better than the other, um, but what I think is important to understand is that there was a lot of things that Jesus and Paul um, attacked about the early church. So I'm not trying to hold up the early church as this perfect example of how we need to do everything, because they had plenty of issues as well. But something they left alone was this, was their emphasis on the group, their emphasis on the individual taking a back seat to the group. Let me just stop for a second and maybe just recognize the tension that I feel with this. Um, so, like I mentioned, like I have very healthy relationships with my family, my biological family. And so when I, when I see this in the New Testament, when I hear Jesus even talk about the family, biological family, the way he does, when I see Paul talking about us treating our church family like a family, um, there is some tension there. And sometimes it's just hard to reconcile what to do in, in certain scenarios. And um, I don't think there's a perfect answer for our, for all of those different situations, I think God shows us those through prayer um, and through our church community. But the second thing that I feel like is a healthy tension to just kind of recognize is, um, for many years, I swung from kind of uh, having a more inward focus uh, 
I guess, of the church, uh, the church family, and then um, kind of out of reaction to that, being like, well, no, we can't focus on inwardly so much. We need to focus outwardly, and so focusing more on, like, mission and those outside the church. And sometimes when I read Scripture, it feels like those two things, those two priorities, are kind of competing. And so when I study a text like this, it seems like the focus is very clearly on the church family and on cultivating church community and healthy relationships within the family. Um, but then we have this mission component, right, that Andy's going to be talking more about next week. But how do we, like, fit that in, too? And so I think for many years, it was hard for me to reconcile these things. It seemed like an either-or. And what I've come to realize, it's, it's actually both, right? It's a both-and. And I think the way this works is that healthy community gives birth to mission. And in our, in our core values, I think this is why we order them the way we do, gospel gives birth to community, community gives birth to mission. Um, and so in my mind, um, I don't know if you were feeling that tension as, as I was speaking, but that was something that I, I had to stop and really process a little bit and um, that's just kind of what helped me work through it. So not only does Paul give us a vision for God's community, but he gives us the purpose for God's community. And we see that at the end of verse 15. Paul describes the church as the church of the living God, the pillar and the buttress of truth. And so what he's saying is the church is the place where God chose to manifest himself. Out of all the ways that God could have done that, he chose People. He chose to manifest his presence most clearly in his church. And what he's also saying is the living church family is what God has chosen to uphold the truth of the gospel. And that's kind of what we see in verse 16 where Paul talks about the mystery of godliness. And um, whenever Paul uses that phrase, he's referring to the gospel. And then that, those following lines in verse 16 that's an ancient gospel hymn um, that we don't have time to really unpack, but it's super rich, and it gives us a glimpse into the way that um, Paul and the early church viewed the gospel and the beauty of it. <clears throat> so what we see then is in these verses, that if, if we really understand them, we see that the church is primarily a family, and it's God's family. But it's not just a family. It's a family with a purpose, and that purpose is to protect, proclaim, and incarnate the truth of the gospel. And so that leads us to ask, how do we do that? Like, that's, that's a noble calling. How, how are we supposed to protect, proclaim, and incarnate the truth of the gospel? Well, Paul already answered that. Act like a family. Behave like a family. <clears throat> so, let's explore that a little bit. How do we act like a family? How do we carry some of what we know about maybe even our families and even the way that the early church would have understood families. How do we bring that into the church family context and then apply some of these principles? And really, I want you to to hear my heart in this. Um, This has largely come from what God has just taught me over the past several years. Kind of the story that I told you at the beginning and, and since then, since being here at the summit. And really experiencing uh, what it looks like to, to do life with the family of God. And so um, what I did is, as I thought about this, I kind of summarized it into, into four principles that I've learned. So four things that I've learned about family that I want to share with you tonight. And so, and one more thing, uh, the way that a lot of this has happened is by observing a lot of your lives. Um, many of you are really good at a lot of these things that we're going to talk about. And so God has taught me a lot just by watching many of you, by doing life with a lot of you, watching you make decisions and live with your spouse and 
um, lead a city group. And so that's where a lot of this reflection and observation is coming from. So the first, first principle is that families share their stuff. Right? I know that's not super profound, but it's true. If you think about your biological family, your immediate family, you don't have a choice, right? You share everything. And when we take that to the family of God, like, it's a gift that a lot, of that a lot of those things, a lot of our material resources, we have the opportunity to share. And I think what this has looked like is there's skills, right? Many of you have skills that I don't have, um, but I can come to you and ask for help um, and ask for you to share those, those skills with me. And some of, some of that is monetary, right? Like finances. And um, I think that happens in two ways, right? A lot of times we assume that when it comes to meeting the financial needs of the household of God, that the church is just going to do that. And there, there is a component of that, that the church does do that. But there's also the component is you, as part of the family, seeing a financial need and meeting that need yourself. And my wife and I got to experience this last year in a really cool way. We were going through a time that was just really discouraging and really difficult. And someone, I don't know who, they were anonymous, but they, uh, they gave us a card and they said, we're really thankful for you. And we're, what to say? Basically, we're really thankful for you, um, and we're really happy that you're a part of this church. Um, here's a gift card to go have dinner on us. And that was really small, but incredibly meaningful. And I just, I just tell you that to say, first of all, like, there's people doing this, and we've benefited from it and have been blessed by it. But second of all, like, it doesn't have to be super complicated to bless people financially. It can be something as small as a gift card um, to go out to dinner. And the last area with this is, is sharing your homes. And um, I know a lot of you have bought homes in the city. You've put your roots down. And when you're going through that process of trying to find a home, finding a home that had space for you to have people into it was top priority, right? Like you wanted to have space to enjoy the people in your lives, to cultivate those relationships, to grow in community. And many of you, you lead a city group or you host a city group or both, and you have people into your home every other week or even every week. And that's another way that you're sharing of your resources, you're sharing of your stuff with the family of God. And, you know, for my wife and I, we, we both lead and host a city group. This is one of the most enjoyable things that we get to experience on a, on a weekly basis. When we were buying our home, that was a non-negotiable. Like, we got to have room, like open floor print, right? We can fit as many people in there as possible. And then, like last year, we had a table that could seat four people, and it's like, we got to build a bigger table. So I built a bigger table, and every single week, that table is packed out, along with all the bar stools and then people in the living room. That is a tremendous gift to see the family of God gather, to see our church family, the relationship strengthened, to do life with those people, to share meals with those people. And so that's, that's the first observation that, that I've made, is that families share their stuff, both biological families and then church families. And the second thing is that families share their hearts. And this one's a little bit more difficult than the first one, um, at least for me. Like, it's really easy for me to loan out my truck for someone to move or to lend out a tool or to have people in my home and cook them dinner. Like, that's pretty easy. I, I really enjoy that. But sharing my heart with somebody, that's, that's a little bit weird, if I'm honest. Um, that's taken a lot of growth and a, little, a lot of, I, I think, God just maturing me to, to help me understand the value and the importance in that. And one of the ways that I've really seen this in, in my life is with the guys in my city group. I get with these guys every other week when we're not meeting as an entire city group. And, the, and they come over, and 
oftentimes we're studying something together, but that always leads into conversation where guys are being incredibly transparent and open and honest. And then in turn, like, I feel that sense of security to be able to share my heart, my dreams, and my desires and my fears. And in a really cool way, like, I've been able to get to know these guys on a level that I never knew them before. And a lot of it has surprised me. Some of it hasn't. But in a really refreshing way, we've been able to build one another up through our strengths and our weaknesses and, and just by being vulnerable with one another. And, you know, this, sharing your heart, that's hard enough to do with your biological family. And so I know you're probably thinking, like, how am I going to do that with people that I barely know? And um, we're going to talk more about that a little bit later. But what I, what I want you to see is that even if you haven't had this experience with your biological family, even if you haven't had the kind of relationships where you've been able to share your heart, where you've been able to be transparent with them and, and authentic and vulnerable, like, you can have it now. Okay, like just because you've never had this before and you're not really sure what that looks like, don't miss out on everything that God offers you in, the, in his family. The third observation, the third principle that, that God has taught me is that families stay, embrace the pain, and grow up together. Families stay, embrace the pain, and grow up together. And I mean, I, I probably don't even really need to talk long about this. Like family is hard, um, Conflict happens. Both immediate family and both church family are messy places because they're full of messy people. And what I want to encourage you to do tonight is don't abandon that mess. Like, we don't grow up by running from family to family every time it gets hard, okay? We grow up by staying, by embracing that pain and growing up together. We don't abandon the mess, we embrace the mess. I know it's hard, I know it's painful, um, but you need to see that these relationships that God has put in your life, like these are, these are tools of sanctification. Like these are, these are tools of redemption in your life. And these are put there to make you more like Christ and ultimately to bring him glory. And so don't overlook the conflict, right? This is part of it. But by working through that conflict, by being committed, by staying that's where we grow together. That's how we become to operate more like a family. Long-term relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian faith. It's been proven time and time again that people who stay also grow. The fourth observation I want to make, the fourth thing that God's taught me about, about family is that family is about more than me, my spouse, and kids. Family is about more than me, my spouse, and kids. And so what I mean by that is within the family, right, there's, there's also nuclear families. There's, there's biological families that make up the family of God. And so I think sometimes it's easy to kind of get tunnel vision and, like I was kind of talking about before, import a more individualistic mentality to this family approach and to think that our decisions don't affect others, to think that when it comes to major life decisions that we're the only ones that really have a say in it. Um, you've probably heard the, the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Um, I've also heard it said it takes a village to nourish a marriage. And we haven't raised a child yet, but I believe that. And we have, like we are married, so I do know the value of having a community that speaks into my marriage and that asks hard questions of me and that makes observations about the way that I'm, I'm treating my wife or the way that I'm leading my family. And 
another, or I guess one way that you kind of see this in our church is in our, in our city groups. They're architected so that there's different life stages in city groups. And that's because we see the value of this. We see the value of um, families being with, with singles and with young newly married couples being around families with, with three or four kids. Um, there's a lot of wisdom in that, and there's a lot of even biblical principles wrapped up in, in this. And so this is, some, this is one way that we try to prioritize this, by having different life stages within our city groups. Um, another way that my wife and I have experienced this even recently is we don't have immediate family in town, just like many of you. And so this last year, we spent Thanksgiving and Christmas here, um, away from our families. And even though that was tremendously difficult, and in many ways it honestly just wasn't the same, um, we weren't alone. Like, we weren't lonely. We were spending those holidays with many of you. And um, I think for maybe one of the first times, like, my wife and I really realized just the value of having church family that we really view as family. And um, many of you have experienced that as well. But for those of you that haven't yet, I really want to encourage you and challenge you um, to see this family that way, uh, to see them as family and as I, I mentioned briefly before, but this is really what I want to spend a little bit of time on, is the area of decision-making. When, when family is about more than me, my spouse, and kids, that dramatically affects the way that we make decisions. Uh, that's because there's more people involved than just your, your nuclear family, right? And this is probably the area where I've received personally the most pushback, because I've been talking to people and... Um, People don't like not being the one calling the shots. Like people don't like not being the one who has the 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 say in in major life decisions. But here's kind of the irony in that is who to marry, where to live, and where to work. Those are the three major life decisions that every adult goes through that creates the most amount of stress, the most amount of anxiety. Um, and in many ways, it's because we face those decisions alone, right? Like if you were in a, a strong group culture, you didn't ever have to deal with those decisions. Your family made them for you. The group made them for you. But for us, you guys have all been there. Some of you are there now. You know the anxiety and the stress that comes with making those decisions about who to spend your life with, um, about where to live, about where to work. And so what I'm getting at is that sometimes it's hard for us to see that making decisions in community is a gift, right? It's not an inconvenience. It's not a consequence. It's a gift that God gives us. And um, one family that I've seen this do really well over this last year is Mark and Angie Henderson. And they, they were going through, they're members of our church. If you don't know them, you need to get to know them. But they're going through a process last year of making a major life decision. And they came to my wife and I, along with several other couples, and they said, guys, like, here's what's going on. Here's what we feel like God is calling us to do. Like, what do you think? Like, do, is, there, is there something we're missing? Like, are there any blind spots? Like, we really value your input, and we value you praying for this. And so we need you to help us make this decision. And so Mark and Angie were an incredible example to me of how to make decisions in community really well. It takes a lot of humility to be able to do that. Um, I think it takes a lot of letting go of some control, but I think in the end it's tremendously freeing because you're not stuck making these decisions in isolation. And I think, I know, good decisions are seldom made in isolation. I would say never, but you're not supposed to ever say never. So good decisions are seldom made in isolation. So I think 
these four observations, sharing your stuff, sharing your hearts, staying, embracing the pain, growing up together, and family is about more than me, my spouse, and kids. Probably sound, it probably sounds a little idealistic, right? It's like, how, how does that work? Like, that sounds great. Like, that might not even be new information for many of you, but what does that really look like? How is that actually realized in the here and now? And so, the good news is that Jesus perfectly modeled this, right? Jesus modeled this type of loyalty and commitment to the spiritual family, even to the point of death. And so, we're not going to accomplish this. We're not going to do this by trying harder, by trying to share more things, by um, trying to be more vulnerable with people, by trying to make decisions better. Like, the only way that this is going to happen is through God's Spirit working within each of us. See, the gospel is what gives us hope that this kind of community is possible because we know that in and of ourselves, like, this doesn't happen. This is just the ideal that is really kind of impossible. With the gospel, with the power of the gospel working within you and within me, we can see this kind of community. And we know that because we already see glimpses of this within our church family. But... It's helpful to acknowledge, I think, that this wasn't easy for Jesus, right? Like, Jesus faced tremendous obstacles, um, trials. You look at the people that he was investing his life into, and you look at the way that he was treated by them time and time again, the lack of loyalty. Um, This wasn't easy for him. Um, So I don't want us to think it's going to be easy for us. And... For my wife and I, for our experience here at the summit, it's probably been one of, one of the first times that as a, as a married couple, we've been able to really experience and see the fruit of this type of community, of these types of relationships in our lives. <clears throat> you know, when we first came here and met Brian, we weren't even married, and Brian was the one that did our counseling and married us, and Every step of the way, we've had people speaking into our lives, helping us make decisions, showing us where we've fallen short, encouraging us. Encouraging us to see the fruit of the gospel in our lives in bigger and fuller ways. And so, in many ways, like this value that, that we have, this value of community, is something that, that we're doing really well. And I think that's just something to celebrate. Like many of you have you've experienced the fruit of this, you've contributed to this in our lives, and, um, and you've, you've realized, to one degree or another, what it looks like to do life as a church family. But I think there's always room to do this better. And I think, I think for 2015, and beyond 2015, as a church, we want to continue to grow together within these redemptive relationships that God's put us in. We want to continue to experience the fullness of this gift that God has given his church. And we want to keep learning what it looks like to do life. We want to fight for this community. When it gets hard, as it inevitably will, it's been hard for, for all of us along the way, like, don't give up. Keep fighting for it. Stay, grow, and fight for this community that God's given us. Let me go ahead and pray, and then uh, we'll go ahead and respond to this gift. Father, thank you for... Your church, I thank you for providing for our need for community by giving us the family of God, for 
Lord, for ultimately creating this family through the work of the gospel and through the life and death of and resurrection of Jesus. And Lord, I just ask that as we as we take a look at our church family and we evaluate how we're doing these different areas of sharing our stuff and sharing our hearts and Lord and, and resolving conflict together and making decisions together that Lord, you would help us grow in each of these areas where we need to grow and celebrate those areas where, by your grace, we've been able to see that happen. And Lord, this year, I just ask that we would really learn what it looks like to do life as a family, to value one another and these relationships that you've given us as a family. Lord, and to prioritize the people in this room, the people in our city groups, the people that you have sovereignly put in our lives, Lord, in a way that maybe we haven't before. And Lord, I just ask that as we move into this time to responding to this gift and to this this truth, um, Lord, that you would just remind us of the price that you paid so that we might enjoy this community, the price for what it cost you on the cross. And Um, We thank you for that, and we praise you for that, and we recognize that it's only because of the gospel doing its work in each of our lives will we be able to see this this perfect picture of of family um, become a realization, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.